Hey guys, how's it going? Scotty from the Scott's Bass Lessons Podcast and I'm back here with another episode for you and today we've got the one and only Steve Jenkins who I have been nerding out on for years. I think I found out about Steve probably over 10 years ago and he's been a heavyweight bass player in New York City for for all of the time that I've been following him and has played with some crazy players. Um, I'm going to go into that in the in the interview itself but I really really think you're going to enjoy this one and Steve I just want to give him a massive shout out for being such an awesome dude because this is the second interview he's done with me the first one the audio died on us so at the end of the interview I was like oh no we checked it I had to email him back I was like uh Steve can you jump on with us again, please, for another hour? So, and he was totally cool about it. And, and, and you're going to listen to the, the interview now. But just before I get into the interview, I also want to mention that, well, you might have heard on the grapevine that there's some cool stuff going on with the academy over at Scott's Bass Lessons. Now, just to kind of let the cat out of the bag, but we have been working on a complete rebuild of the academy and Scott's Bass Lessons for the last five months. We have put so much work into this. It is untrue. When it, I think if I knew the amount of work that was going to go into this before I started, I probably would have just not done it. But anyway, um, we're nearing the end now of the uh, the whole rebuild process. And you guys will be able to see that when we release it in around a month's time, just over a month, I think we had it. I think we were aiming for the beginning of October. <clears throat> so that's when we're going to be releasing the uh, Academy 2.0, as it were. And it's not only going to look a hell of a lot sexier, I'm talking super sexy, um, but it's the, the functionality within the Academy is just going to be a completely different level. So if you're an Academy member, make sure you keep a lookout for that. It is going to completely change the functionality of the Academy and complete take it to a completely different level. Just the, the, the search functions, the functionalities of how the courses are laid out, the whole thing is going to be taken to a completely different level. In fact, talking about courses... Something that you're going to want to keep a lookout for is that we've just uh, just finished um, up a brand new course. So last month we released the Advanced Palm Muting Techniques course, which was over 15 lessons, um, over 80 minutes of video and full tab of notation and all the, uh, it was a complete shenanigansa. I love that word, shenanigansa. Uh, so that was last month's course. And this month we've done a completely new course that's going to be going into the Academy which we're calling the Lead Sheet Survival Guide. Now, if you don't know what a lead sheet is, it's it's what you would use if you're in a band at a jam session or uh, in, in a situation where multiple musicians have to work from one piece of music. So there's not a separate guitar part and a, part and a separate keys part and a separate bass part. We're all working from the same the same sheet. And I should say we're not all crowded around the same sheet. We know we've got to different copies of the uh, of the same sheet. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. But a question that I guess asked so many times is, should I learn to read music? And my answer is always, well, it depends. You know, it depends on what you're aiming for. But my general, you know, my general advice is that it is good to have some reading skills when it comes to notation you know to just get some basic reading skills down it's pretty easy you know you you probably do 10 minutes a day and you'd be you know well on your way to having a good understanding of reading notation within six months right Um, it's not a huge thing i'm not talking about sight reading crazy parts i'm just talking about getting some basic reading skills down okay so i would say that it's good to to be able to do that the gag is a question that nobody asks me is, is it important to learn to, to, to learn to read lead sheets? My answer to this would be completely different. My answer to this would be absolutely essential. It is absolutely essential that you understand how to learn to read lead sheets. They are so useful in so many different applications. And this course, 
The Lead Sheet Survival Guide takes you right from the start. I talk about what a lead sheet is used for, the anatomy of a chart. We talk about chord symbols. We talk about all the different types of chords, major chord symbols, minor chord symbols, dominant chord symbols. We talk about slash and polychords. I talk about advisory substitution chords. I talk about form, rehearsal marks, pickups, repeats, solo sections, intros and sample baselines, coders and incorporating the DS and DC terminology, the full thing, okay? Now this, if you're thinking, well, this isn't really for me, it really is. If you're a bass player or a guitar player or any type of musician that wants to get into, you know, situations where you're playing with other musicians, learning to le- learning to read lead sheets is going to be a key skill that you do not want to miss out on. So do look out for that course. I think it's coming out on the 20th of September and it'll be going into the Academy course library and it's going to be epic. Now, if you're listening to the podcast on iTunes, I'll send you all of my bass love if you subscribe and leave a review as that really helps us get the word out about these interviews, guys. And I really think there's so much to be learned from listening to great bass players such as the guests that we have on the show. And if you're listening to this anywhere else other than scottsbasslessons.com, make sure you shoot over to the site and check out the show notes for this episode as I've put some fantastic videos up. Now, if you're completely new to Scott's Bass Lessons, go to scottsbasslessons.com forward slash toolkit. Okay, scottsbasslessons.com forward slash toolkit. I put some really cool video resources that you can download on there and check out, like a bass buyer's guide. We've got um, a video where I talk about how to get gigs, great gigs, wherever you are in the world. So if you're moving to a new city or you're trying to break into the scene where you are, i give you some great tips for that. We've got a Understanding the Modes mini course. We've got a backing track library. There's loads of stuff in there. It's totally free for you to download. Just go to scottsbasslessons.com forward slash toolkit. And also, remember, if you're an Academy member over at scottsbasslessons.com, you can watch the entire video version of this interview as well, okay? We film the entire thing as we do with all our podcasts. We film all of them. And if you're not already an Academy member, just go and check it out over at scottsbassessence.com. In a nutshell, it's the best online learning platform for bass players in the world. The step-by-step courses, live seminars every week, the largest online bass educational community in the world. And those guys are so, so supportive and tons more. The whole nine yards. And we have a completely free 14-day trial for you as well. So you can take it for a test drive just to see if it's for you. And if you find it isn't, no sweat. You can cancel your account within the click of two buttons. Now, without further ado, let's get into the interview. Hey guys, how's it going? Scotty from scottsbasslessons.com and I'm here with the amazing Steve Jenkins who I have been nerding out about for years. I'm a little bit of a secret stalker, Steve, I've got to tell you, you know, like, all right. all, you know I'm just putting it out there that I've got a little cool. bit of stalkability going on with you and I've been following you right back from, you know, when you were playing with Screaming and had his torsos and I know you've, you've played with, a, a, you know, all of my favourite musicians like Keith Carlock and Dave Gilmore and you know, the list just goes on and on. All the New York City heavyweights, right? And yeah. and that's something that I've been listening to for, well, for, for too long now. And um, so you obviously live in New York now and you sort of, you know, you're really um, absorbed in that scene. I know every you know, I follow you on Facebook and you're always cropping up and you're playing with some sort of like great players. But if we, I know that you went to Berkeley, right? So right. I'd like to talk just a little bit about that because I know a lot of the guys that have, listening to this are in thinking about going to music school or you know are in music school or just out of music school and just wanted to know what your experience was like when you got to Berkeley and and how really that shaped things to come afterwards okay well the first experience I had with Berkeley was as a high school kid in between my junior and senior year of high school I went to this thing called the five-week program. And the five-week program is... It's like a summer thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's a summer thing. And so by that point, I I got really serious about music and bass during, um, I guess, like, you know, beginning of ninth grade. I got really serious about it. Um, There wasn't really a way to see what other people were doing. You know, this was like the early 90s. Pre-YouTube. Yeah, pre-YouTube. And and to be honest, man, and like I guess we'll get into this 
at some point later on. I almost feel like one of the problems with today is like everyone can see what everybody else is doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the, the means of exposure to things was really limited to print and radio and then just word of mouth from friends. Yeah. And I grew up outside D.C., so a lot of what I knew about music was from those three sources. And yeah. um, so, you know, like I'm, I was kind of going to this Berkeley thing with the idea that, well, I'll see how I stack up against like other kids my age and make some friends, blah, blah, blah. Because you had and, no uh, idea because there was no other way of finding out, right? Yeah, I had no idea. But like, so I would read these articles about like Gary Willis or Victor Wooten or whoever. And yeah, yeah, yeah. people would use all these weird phrases that don't mean anything i've come to find out but they just it just sounds like you're describing something about you know like fleet fingered runs what the is that but anyway so i would read this and like practice really hard and i'd be like man i think i'm killing these fleet fingered runs or something you know um but somehow like man you know i went it was a great experience for me initially because a lot of the people i met there in 1992, like all the guys who are in Lettuce now, like yeah. Deitch, uh, Adam Smirnoff, Eric, Eric Krasno, like those guys were buddies of mine. Um, you know, so like me and Adam Deitch, like we had sort of a good thing as a bass player and a drummer, even as kids. Um, and then, you know, of course, their bass player, uh, Eric, he was there. Um, man, I know I saw Matt Garrison and Abel Boreal Jr. play that summer, and I didn't know who they were, and it was really terrifying. Um, you know, so Matt was Garrison like, was even terrifying back then. Yeah, um, I mean, so when I finally, so anyway, I loved it, man. It was great. I would say that experience, that five weeks during the summer, just ruined the last year of high school for me, man. Like I just because <laughs> you just got so into the bass. Well, it was like it was a couple things. It was like because I was already pretty serious about practicing, but it was just you know, it's like if you're if you're like seventeen years old. And you're in a city by yourself with like other young people, and um, it was like no adult supervision, and like you know you're just kind of out. Boston's like a good city to be in if you're young and haven't really lived in a city proper. I feel like yeah. New York is where a lot of people would mess themselves up, but Boston is kind of like it's like a city with training wheels because yeah, it's really yeah. not that much of a city anymore. Like I mean that's that's not how it feels anymore to me. It just feels like a big town and I'm sure that'll piss some people off when they hear it, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's got a vibe that's very friendly. Like if, you know, like if someone was going to overdo it or something, I feel like it's very, very conducive to like people being like, you no, know, it's like, it's all right. Just walk it off. That type of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like, just kind of like wild kid stuff mixed with like being really into music. And, um, I mean like, and like I said, it was the nineties. So, there was like this great Tower Records on the corner of uh, Newbury Street, which is a very popular block. It's kind of trendy, and it's really close to where Berkeley is. And yeah, so yeah. it was like, I don't know, man, that whole time period was great. But um, it was just mostly the freedom. And just like me it was kind of like meeting a bunch of people that were into the same things. And, uh, you know, high school, like everybody where I went, I mean, they chose more conventional paths. Like I was sort of an outlier, outlier I guess. Um you know, like I didn't go to performing arts high school, so it was cool to meet a bunch of people that were super into the idea of into doing the music. same thing you were, yeah. Yeah. So to go back to just that sort of, all right, here we go. You know, like the suburban kind of back to high school type of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I had a, I had an easy time there. It wasn't hard for me, man. Like I wasn't like bullied or any of that shit. Like I had friends. It wasn't that. Like I could, I could make people laugh, and even the teachers, like you know, like I remember at one point, like. I got in trouble for like not doing like as good as I could have. Like I got, I got like a B on something instead of an A, and and I was like, well, what's wrong with good, man? Because I'm working on this music thing, you know, like, <laughs> you know. So I mean, it was it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't terrible, but it just it was just such an amazing thing to be around all this energy of like young people into like doing music, and you know, it was it was incredible, man. There were some great great people there you know there's people who always sounded great adam deitch always sounded great on drums man always, it wasn't like even then yeah yeah like he he, he had it from the get-go i mean he because his parents are drummers so it's like it was really kind of an amazing experience um and when and did it was you great. end up going like full-time to berkeley 
Uh, so right after I graduated high school, I went there in the fall. And um, it was cool, man. I mean, I bottomed out at some point. Like after a couple years, I ended up sort of being at odds with wanting to stay in the program. It's, it's weird, man. Like because if someone watches uh, Damien's podcast – Damien and I were there at the same time, yeah. and we left. We left school at the same time. Oh, really? And then, and then we went back at the same time, <laughs> and we didn't even know each other. Like we didn't. But our, you know, it was kind of like, you know, I don't know that our circumstances were the same when we went there. Like I was pretty pronounced as a bass player. I know he was sort of a drummer and he played bass, and he hadn't really chosen a lane yet. Yeah. But, but by and large, it was definitely sort of one of those things where, like, after a couple years. I didn't see the value, um, and I, I still don't, if I'm being honest. Like, we had to take, like, conducting classes, and I just felt like, okay, that's cool, but, like, I don't want to do it. Just headstock up, headstock down. That's about as much. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the rest of it, you're just following a score, and if you can count to four and kind of read a little bit, like, I don't know, great, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and I'm sure that class costs like a thousand dollars to take, and I'm just like, man, f- conducting. Yeah. Most people felt that way, like, um, but uh, so, but like, okay. So on a serious tip, the thing that was really good about going there, besides everything else, though, it really is about the people that you meet there, um, and I really think that can include the faculty, but also really the students. I mean, I think there's a lot of there was a lot of people. Um, who were there, I guess, each time I went. Like, when I initially went, there were some amazing people there. When I went back, I got to kind of get the second round of, like, friends and contacts. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I have, like, two different pools of Berkeley alumni types. And are that, these guys that you still know now, yeah? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it, you know, it's, it's funny, man. It's, like, one of those things where it's, like, I don't know that it's essential for someone to go to that place now, given what's happening in the business because, and I'm not saying this because the experience is bad. I just think that by and large, if you want to play, it's expensive to go there. I mean, I think it's always been expensive, but I think now it's really expensive. It's like, you know, it's like one year of Berkeley, new Audi, you know what I mean? Like it's (laughs) sort of, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like, you know, I mean, and they, they're, they're being competitive. Like they have a great faculty, like they're getting all the A-list dudes. It's like, you know, come study basketball with LeBron James. Like it's that kind of shit. Yeah. They've got Victor Wooten teaching there and John Patitucci and yeah. 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 The top guys. Yeah. And, and the great thing about those guys as, as like, you'll learn when you hang with them, um, like Vic is very much into the idea of like people playing bass and being musical. Like he's not trying to unleash an army of people that play like him, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he's a sweet guy and he's really great. And I think, you know, he's great. But it's also important to remember too, like the guys that built that department from the ground up, those guys are still amazing. They've always been amazing. Like Bruce Gertz, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah Bruce Gertz. He's such a humble guy, man, but quiet as it's kept. Most of the notable bass players that people kind of think of when they think of Berkeley, like up to a certain point, because, you know, time passes, but it's like Matt Garrison, Schooley Sverison, uh, Victor Bailey, Kai Eckhart, um, Dave LaRue, like all these different guys, you know, that like came out of there, like study with Bruce. With you Bruce, know, yeah. was, Did you study with Bruce? I did. Was it a it great experience? It was cool. I mean, Bruce, I think if I could redo my experience, I mean, there's a couple of teachers there that I would have tried to study with at the same time because Bruce has a really great concept for improvisation and he's a great bass player and he's got a lot of forward-thinking concepts. And, and that, to me, is the kind of teacher I guess I needed at the time. Yeah. But, you know, maybe... Take, taking from Danny Moe would have been cool too because Danny's a different kind of player and yeah. it, it would be sort of like using the same the same skill set. But um, yeah, I mean, Bruce was like really, really kind of a great, he, he prepared me really well in a, in a lot of ways for the kind of stuff I ended up doing afterwards. 
Um, so yeah, no, it was a great experience. Um, why, I think, did you, why did you go back when you left? Cause you, did you leave because you just sort of like, you got bummed out with the course and you just thought you wanted to go gigging? Was it like you just wanted to yeah. play more? Yeah. Yeah, it was like, I just want to play. I don't know if this is really gonna, I don't know if I can really find what I'm trying to do while I'm in school. Like I, I felt like I was on my way to getting a degree and not really having a lot of experience. Yeah. You know, I was, cause I definitely, um, I definitely didn't play a lot of gigs when I was in high school. Like I did stuff that kids do when they're in high school. Yeah. Like uh, even like the last year, like I ended up doing like all state jazz band and then all county jazz band, which I never cared about until it was time to apply for colleges. And I just thought I would do it to like, uh, you know, try to get some scholarship money, man. Like that was the goal. Like I didn't really care. I didn't really care about big band music. Um, and so, like, when I got Allstate, I felt really bad, man, because there was, like, these kids that were, like, serious about it. Like, I went to the audition, and there was this dude that played, like, upright, and he wore a beret, and he's, like, talking like he's out of the 40s. And I'm like, dude, you're 17. And, like, you know, I had, like, a purple jazz bass, and I probably had, like, a, you know, like, a fishbone t-shirt on or something like that. And yeah, yeah. I kind of went in there just like, all right, let's see what happens, and, you know, um, I ended up doing it and it was it was a cool experience but it was definitely I definitely wasn't one of those kids now that like I think now there's a lot of outlets for younger folks to play gigs and stuff with you know things like school of rock and programs yeah, yeah. designed for that but I don't know man I also feel like not having anything like that and having to seek stuff out I think that to be honest has been my greatest asset as a as a human being playing music I mean just having to find stuff. Not having uh, it like handed on a plate to you. Kind of like when we were talking with the YouTube thing, too much exposure, like right. just too much noise, you know, having to seek things out. So when you, when, why did you go back to Berkeley? What, what, what decision was that? What kicked it off? Um, well, okay, so what happened was I ended up going back to DC for a while. I grew up in Maryland, so I went back home and uh, ended up just playing some gigs around the area. And I met some great musicians while I was, down there um like this drummer sean rickman who plays yeah, yeah. he plays everything yeah sean's a pretty good friend of mine and um that's when we kind of became that's when we became friends and we did gigs and stuff and i learned a lot from playing with him there's a keyboard player named federico uh pena who played with michelle a lot oh, in the yeah, night. Yeah, yeah 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 and then um so he he and sean had a thing with a sax player and he used to watch them play all the time there was um, some other people I played with. I played in this R&B band with this amazing singer. And um, it was like that gig was kind of like finishing school for me in some ways because it was the kind of band where she let everybody play solos and stretch out. But there were still parameters. So yeah. everybody, everybody was playing great. I thought I was in Chick Corea electric band and everybody else was playing in this R&B band. So I, I was always on the verge of getting fired. And um, I guess over the course of the time I played with her, I kind of mellowed out or I learned how to sort of turn it on and turn it off. Yeah, yeah. Um, well enough that like, you know, it, it did me some good. But, you know, she had always really great bass players in her band, like Scott Ambush and Gary Granger. And I was like 22 doing this gig and sort of getting my ass kicked because you know, it's like when you're 22 and people are telling you stuff like, well, you know, less is more and it's what you don't play. You're just like, man, that's, that's some bullshit, man. How, you know, it's like, it's like, <laughs> whatever. That, yeah. It's like that Ingve Malmsteen thing where like, he's like, how can less be more, you know, <laughs> yeah, off the, off the old video. Yeah. 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 But that's, that's kind more of more is what, more. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so uh, yeah, you know, I, I was doing stuff like that, but it, it just occurred to me that, um, oh, and I should also mention that, like, in between going to Berkeley and, like, the, sum like, the summer before I went to Berkeley full-time, uh, Dave Dyson, I met him, actually, at a Living that. Color concert, um, which is weird, because I play with Vernon from time to time, like, yeah. we've been, like, buddies, and I play in his band, uh, his, like, solo thing, but... I recognized Dave Dyson from Bass Player Magazine because they had done an article on him when he was like the new kids on the blocks MD. Um, so that's the thing. Like I read those magazines religiously because there was nothing else. So I like I could pick them out of a crowd. Me too, and, man. Yeah. Yeah. So 
he he really kind of took me under his wing and um he gave me a lot of cool concepts to sort of consider and think about and he was sort of like the first like amazing bass player i got to sit down with and really kind of like you know just open my mind up to what what the possibilities are um what kind of stuff was he talking about well he had a very gentle way of telling me I needed to work on like my pocket and my feel. You know what I mean? Like I would talk about one thing and then he'd make a cassette of like Bootsy Collins and just give it to me, you know, like, uh, he, but he's the one that got me into that, to that Donald Blackman album. You know, that one that everyone likes like that, Yeah, yeah. that one called Blackman. Like he got me into that. He got me into like, uh, that P funk all stars record with, with Ronnie Skeet Curtis, yeah, like yeah. live, live in Beverly. Um, he just got me to think about the idea of being a complete musician, but really not just, you know, not treating grooves as a pedestrian thing. Like, really, because his whole thing, Dave's whole thing, like, if you really watch him play, um, you know, like, he does a lot of different stuff. He was in Steve Coleman's band for a while in the 90s, like, a couple years. There's a couple live videos where he's in there, and it's like him and Sean Rickman. Yeah. And the way he kind of plays around with the stuff, like he's got a real fluid thing that's organic and funky, but it's very much, you know, rooted in pocket playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. You know, it's like, I don't know. Like, there's just such an art to the way he approaches playing grooves, man. And it wasn't like groove or solo. It was just the whole thing. Like, he, it's like he took everything he had and just put it into his you know, how he plays with the drummer or how he approaches a tune. It's, I don't know. So that style, you know, I guess it's really not that different than what, what any of the greats do, you know, but the way he put it together, his, his, his sound and everything, like it was really, really impactful, you know. And, and, Every, and just sort of like hanging out with him, do you, could you just sort of like, were you soaking that up? Yeah, like we took lessons. I took lessons from him and like, I sat in on one of his gigs once when I was like, like right before I went to school, and I'm sure that was. I'm glad that nobody had camera phones then. Like I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was cool, but you know, whatever, man. I was like this kid, you know. It was probably like embarrassing, but I don't know. I took, you know, man. It's like no risk, no reward. It was definitely that type of a situation. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, so we were speaking about when you went back to Berkeley. When right. Did you how like how how long did you have off, and when did you go back? So I was out of there for like four years. Um, That's a good stretch of time. Yeah. I went back when I was 25 years old. Uh, and I guess, so here's, so here's like to answer the question. I've been kind of like, like pushing that off. I guess the thing is, is that like I realized that while Washington, D.C. has like a rich history with music and there's amazing musicians that live down there, like it, it wasn't really going to get me closer to what I wanted to do which was like play with guys like Fusinski and Vernon Reed. And yeah, yeah. I guess like people I was listening to, like I just felt like there wasn't a direct enough line to that. In um, your mind, did you always see yourself as like living in New York? Well, I mean... And that was, and Berkeley and Boston was kind of a way into that? Yeah, kind of. Although that's, strangely enough, that's about to change, I think. Um, because the reason, you know, like... I, I'm going to be going out west for a month, like in two weeks, and I'm going to be there for a few weeks, and I don't know. Hey, taking I've heat been, from Tim. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or, you know, there's been a lot of people going west, but, you know, for me, it's like I've been in New York for almost 12 years. It'll be 12 years in October, Yeah. and I just feel, you know, like at this point, you know, like I'm not married, I don't have kids, and um, I'm not really responsible for anyone but me still you know and i still i still really want to play and do music man like i'm not burnt on it yet like i don't feel like okay i've done this for 20 plus years i should have x y and z like i'm kind of just like man let's just do some new stuff yeah yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you know and i i think there's points where people don't always have that attitude it's like it becomes this linear thing like well i've done x y and z so therefore i should be getting X, Y, and Z back times 50. And yeah, I, I yeah. think, I think that, that's just a natural thing. But I also think that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to sort of like channel the stuff that got me excited about playing in the first place. So it's like I'm pretty excited about just, you know, finding new things to do and rolling the dice again. 
Um, so is it sort of like you are going there kind of just sort of like dipping your toes in the water to, to check out what's going to happen? Yeah, it's more of a recon mission. I'm not going, you know what I mean? I'm not really going to like play with anybody. I mean, I, I might, I think I'm going to take a base. For a while I was thinking, man, I'll just go with like a suitcase and a backpack and just, you know, just kind of check it out. Because there's another side to it too, which is like the the quality of life. Like New York is really it's, 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 it's a thing, it's man. It's a real city. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, I do find that I hide out in my place if I don't have to go out or do stuff. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, like, you always have to do things and be social. But I have, you know, like, I get tired of going out here, man. It's like, you know, it, it's sort of a weird necessary evil. But I find ways not to now. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But it's, you know... Do you think that's because you've got, like, like in terms of who you are, you've got a really great reputation, you're playing with great guys. Like, I'm not sure whether you go out and have to hustle gigs. I expect not, you know. I expect yeah. you, that, that part of your life is, like, behind you. Um, talking about that, like, when you got to New York, did you, like, what was that? Did you have to go out and hustle gigs? Um, well, okay, so here's the thing. Like, I think the, so if I, you know, because I, I'm never one to not be honest about this. I think there's always an influx of people, right? And I always think you can't know everybody. I know a lot of people here. And yeah. I think one thing that can happen in New York and maybe any place, but if you get known for certain types of things, it might be hard for people to, uh, to like consider you for other stuff. Yeah. Um, I've never really worried about that so much because I tend to feel very strongly, and this is not, I can't say that this is how I've always felt, and I've definitely hit my head against the wall, but sometimes, like, you know, if stuff gets slow, you know, it's like, ah, uh, you know, like, I'll, I'll take it personally, or I'm not really sure what I should be doing, but I think, by and large, um, so when I got here, I was already doing stuff with Fusinski. So that was my way into yeah. meeting a lot of people in sort of in that world. You weren't coming in on the bottom. You came in sort of like, yeah, with yeah, a really I mean, well-renowned player. I, I guess, yeah. I mean, I still had to sort of play for people. And um, I also still would take things that came my way. Like I remember um, playing at some club with this singer I had met uh, that Vernon introduced me to and like we did one or two gigs and it was cool man and it was like I don't remember what it paid I was still playing wedding gigs in Boston because I, I was sort of like on contract until because I moved to New York in like the October of 2004 so I still had gigs on the books with that band so I was going back and forth um I made my I made the rounds you know like I think the only mistake not mistake but if I could do it differently I think I would have been a little bit more centered on trying to play with more than like one style of music. Right. You know, like I think I would have yeah. thought more about playing with singer songwriters and stuff. Um, but you know what, man, it's like at the same time, I don't have any regrets. I mean, like I went there kind of with a situation where I had just put out my first record, which is cool. It's, it, I don't, you know, I definitely would tell people check out the latest, the last one. That's the better of the two. Cause Glaxo, it's more, yeah. Yeah, that's more like that. That I feel like that's where I really sort of found my thing, and you know, I'm building on that now. Um, How, what, but like, like just to, just to, like, we'll get back onto this, but just with that in mind, your playing style now. How hmm. would you like? What's changed if you looked back to you know when you were mid twenties or whatever? Um, yeah. those earlier years how has your playing style changed over that time to, to, to present day uh i think i trust melody more than i used to i trust melodic stuff and just being a good melodic bass player more than just let's kill them with chops <laughs> um you know like i still work you know my technique's actually way better than it's ever been you know like i still work on it but i'm not motivated by the same reasons to keep it developed you know like yeah. i'm not trying to kill anybody or like uh you know assault music with like more notes than required yeah, yeah but 
But um, I would say, you know, like what's I think I've got more. It's more fluid than it, than it was in my twenties. It's a smoother thing. I can also go from different tones a lot easier. You know, like I have I have like a broader concept of sound and tone. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it my ba- my fundamental concept of playing has always been you know like just being a complete musician. You know, like. You know, if you're going to play grooves, like, try to kill it. If you're going to play melodies, kill it. Yeah, like, yeah. It's just sort of like, find it and kill it. That's my... <laughs> <laughs> I know that's like find a very... Find it American... and kill it. Steve yeah, Jenkins, 2016. Tweetable. Yeah, that's, like... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that... yeah that's, that's essentially it, man. I know that's, like, not a very uh, elegant way of putting it, but I think that's sort of the thing that that I strive for, Um you know, but but like yeah, I think just being more into phrasing and being more into in like manipulating the space in a way that works. You know, like just yeah. because the thing is, is like, um, you know, I, I haven't had any issues with like um, like playing related stuff or anything where I've had to like kind of watch what I do. Like, I mean, I've had little things, but I know how to stretch and I've gone to people that know how to maintain that stuff so it's like i can still play everything i've ever done and there's like weird technical things i never used to be able to do that i just from like i guess years of trying stuff and you know like it's not hard for me to play like freedom jazz dance or stuff and forth like that's a really hard thing to play on bass yeah Um, like is techniques something that's always been like present for you when like for me it is like I've always had an interest in it you know always yeah. I used to like be really into Steve Vai and like uh, Van right. Halen when I was a kid and you know Malmsteen and these guys right. you know I was into all that so for me it was like natural to be you know to, to have that focus within what I was working on pretty much all the time yeah. has it been the same for you? Yeah I mean it was always I was always very aware of musicianship and technique but I also would say it has a lot to do with being a kid that grew up in the eighties because yeah, absolutely. for me, for, for me, Prince was my guy, man. Like, yeah. because he kind of embodied all the things about music that I loved. Like he had great, you know, was an amazing instrumentalist, but then he wrote songs and the context in which he used his musicianship, it wasn't necessarily for the sake of amazing guitar playing or bass playing or programming or whatever. Like it, it was very, song centric so it kind of worked yeah you know and but like you know yeah i man i loved hearing people like racer x like with with you know Wands yeah. old band or yeah, like yeah, uh, yeah. um you know even like like some of the speed metal stuff man like i still geek out on dave lombardo man like i'll still like there's some drum cam videos like when right before he left slayer and it's like they're playing yankee stadium and it's still kind of like wow this guy's guy's incredible man yeah yeah and that's in your playing as well you know you do really what's the that crazy video i'll i'll put it on the podcast page so people can check it out where it's like oh, you know like yeah. yeah i'll send i'll send you some other links too just to balance that out because i don't want people thinking that's all i do <laughs> yeah, so yeah. yeah it's not just gonna be that one video don't worry about right. it but yeah but i think it's a it's great because you know when we're talking about you know vernon reed and playing with like gene lake and, and these guys that it, yeah. it's not that thing that you were doing in the video. That's something completely different. And I think it's good that people um, see that you've got, you know, like many different things that you do, many different skills, you know, and different styles of music. It's like you've done yeah. sort of like electronica stuff and you know, experimental yeah. jazz stuff and metal and, you know. Has it always yeah. been like that? Have you always had this kind of broad, broad range of stuff you've been into? Yeah, you know what? Um, I think... I think there's been times where I've tried to really absorb something, you know, so it's like yeah. you want to, you know, it's like anything else. Like, I, I think in a strange way, what I tell a lot of students about learning music is like, you just have to like treat it like it's stuff you listen to all the time. But I know as a music student at music school, like when I went to Berkeley, I would try to force listening to things uh, like records, you know, even if it was stuff I wasn't into, but it was almost like an unnatural thing. And then inevitably, like, I'd get pissed off and be like, man, I want to listen to Van Halen 1. Because, like, I can't, like, I've just, I've had enough of this weird esoteric stuff, man. I want to, like, listen. You know, and and I guess, like, by and large, that is kind of the way 
it's been for me. Like I've never been able to exclude other things I've always liked. You know, I've seen people sort of fake their way through that and like, you know, like I remember there's this like music school is funny, man, because you end up seeing people that are really kind of full of full of it. You know, like there's this one dude, like when when uh yeah, because everybody's young, man. Nobody knows. I mean, yeah. it, like yeah, life like, is crazy when life's crazy right. anyway. But when you're that age, it's really crazy. Right. Like I forgot, man. I think it was uh, the Beastie Boys record. Ill communication came out, yeah, man. Yeah. You know, like with sabotage and all that. And um, like I know, like me and my roommates had it. And there was some kid that like came through and he was like, man, I just listened to like 60s era miles and like Keith Jarrett. And I'm just like, get the fuck out of here, man. Like, <laughs> like you know, just, just, just cause like I wasn't buying it, man. Like yeah. I just, unless like this kid grew up on a farm, totally isolated from like society, which would, I guess would have been possible at this point, you know, but it's yeah. like, like who doesn't listen to this? at all yeah, you know yeah, yeah. Like, I, I just i never bought it man but I, I think that's sort of just kind of being eclectic in taste and stuff has been something i've always kind of struck you know it's not really a struggle but like that's just sort of it makes sense to me it might not make sense to somebody going through my you know like my itunes um just like looking at what's there but yeah i, I like it man and i tend to draw on all that stuff when I'm playing, you know, like I don't really exclude anything if I think there's something I can use for it. Like case in point, like when I was playing with Gene, uh, and we haven't done any of his stuff in a while. I mean, I think he's been pretty busy, but he had this one tune, uh, that was like in 21, in 21 basically. And it was just like a phrase. It was a phrase of like three bars of seven, but my goal was to make it feel like a meter song even though it didn't sound like that at all like yeah, that was my yeah, mentality yeah. it's like how can i make this not sound hard to be yeah what, like it's I, like it's in 21 <laughs> yeah and, and i feel like i'm informed a lot by that man like i just i try to let that be the thing that uh sort of steers the ship you know like the vibe part of of certain things i feel like i need to bring that to balance out the other stuff you know absolutely um you know, like with, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I feel like I just, it's, it's, I think it's healthy for people to have a bunch of different things they like to listen to and then just draw on it when they're, when they're playing. You know, but then some people, like, and that's the thing, there's an element to New York that I've always found to be a little bit false, where it's like everyone's playing these vintage instruments and then like, you know, like I have a P bass with flats and I like it, man. I like playing it, but I can't make it my main axe. Um, what is your main? What's your main bass? Uh, it's usually some kind of jazz bass. Uh, you know, I have this great Cal Hill five string, which is short scale, and that bass is amazing. But what scale? It's um, like tiny, right? It's like thirty. Yeah, it's like the size of. Uh, and the B string's fine. It's great. B string How is weird excellent. Is that? That's so bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's got its own thing. It doesn't really cop like a Fender sound. So I'm actually trying to figure out what I'm going to do. I definitely need like a five string J that works the way I want it to and sounds the way I want it to. So still sounds like may, a jazz bass. Yeah. I may be collaborating with someone soon. There's been enough time. I had a deal with someone else and it didn't quite work the way I wanted to. So that ended and I won't say who because they're nice, but um, it just, it didn't work out the way I wanted it to. You were in Lackland years ago, weren't you? Well, I, I, I just bought that bass. Like oh, I never had a deal bass, with yeah. Yeah. That bass was great. I actually sold it to a student because I wasn't playing it that much. And, you know, like, you know how it is, man. Eventually you get rid of something. You're like, damn, I wish I had that yeah, bass. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that Absolutely bass was, it, yeah, that bass was great. I loved it. Um, do you do a lot of teaching? Yeah, I have a couple, you know, I always have a couple students um, on a weekly basis that come to me or I go to them. Yeah, yeah. And then I have, uh, like, Skype students here and there. I know um, Skype is just it's like opened the world up, hasn't it, in terms of sort of like education, like getting, getting lessons one-to-one. -one. What's like the common, you know, the common things that you see students struggling with when they come to you? Um, that's, that's tough because I feel like sometimes people come to me and they, I feel like their, their intentions are they want to they wanna pick my brain and sort of approach base the way maybe they think I approach it. 
And um, I think sometimes what I feel like I'm doing is just giving them like life advice, you know, yeah, which yeah. is strange because I don't feel like I'm qualified to do that all the time. Like, because I'm just, I'm still trying to figure my thing out. You know what I mean? So it's like. As we all are, man. As we all are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I've been trying to sort of find my voice as a teacher because I don't really know. I feel like a lot of the stuff that I excel at telling people about, I mean, you know, I can tell people about harmonic things. I can talk about like, here's some cool scales to use like over, over this and that. But I think by and large, like my strong suit is telling people, you know, it's okay to borrow from this and apply it here and do this. And then there's like technical things I can show people and teach them how to break it down. So they're not slaves to like a pattern or like a shape. Yeah, and they yeah. can like, I try to teach people how to be functional with the stuff that they're using, you know, like, so whereas someone might just say, Oh, you got to transcribe and learn this stuff. I'm in to teach people how to analyze what they're doing with it and like turn kind of mine, mine, like the raw materials and turn it into some kind of like musical alloy. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, sorry, that sounded really pretentious, but like that's yeah, not like reverse engineer what they're actually yeah, yeah what they're learning yeah, so they can actually get something out they can use in different contexts and that stuff right yeah that's that's like what I try to do because that's what worked for me man and I think what I end up seeing a lot of people can't get past there's like a restraint somehow or like a lack of willingness to go into the abyss you know. <laughs> And, and like, I think, you know, it's like, there's people that say, they'll say they want to get better or they want to improve, but either the goal is very ambiguous or it's not exactly defined enough. So it, it's set up to be frustrating. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it's much easier to target one or two things and say, okay, I'm going to get better at, at like whatever, walking through these changes or hearing certain notes over certain types of chord changes. I mean, my, I think what I try to do is like in a gentle way point out, okay, here's where you can, here's where you can retrofit and like reframe what you want to do. So you don't feel flustered by it. You can, you know, yeah. um, I'm, I'm much more motivational, I guess, a lot of times with some of the things that people want to learn, but a lot of it, a lot of what I get asked about is how to put it all together and um, how to like develop an approach but like sometimes we never get out of like the first or second floor. Like sometimes people are like, you know, I don't really want to get good at soloing. And I'm like, all right, cool. Let's play some grooves first, you know? And then it's like the groove part's not happening. And then we never really get past a certain thing. But like, do you think what, a lot of the time it's psychological why people can't do that in terms of not psychological where they're sort of like doubting themselves, but psychological as in they're just maybe concentrating on too much stuff. They just want to do everything or, what do you think it is that holds people back? Um, well, I think there's a couple different things. I think sometimes people get intimidated by the sheer number of musicians that maybe exist. Um, or, you know, I think the other thing that happens, because I end up teaching people that can sort of play already, like they're yeah. maybe intermediate um, and have the capacity to maybe be advanced if they stay out of their own way. I think... Um, common thing that people tend to have issues with, I think, uh, it mostly stems from being able to have a bigger idea of like how to put the things together. Um, and well, maybe the building blocks together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I think that's, that's what it comes down to because a lot of times when they come, when, when people seek me out as a teacher, they want to know how I put everything together. Um, and it's really not that hard. You know, I just had really strong commitment to um, being, like, good at playing grooves and then, like, maybe working on other elements like melodic playing and soloing and playing chords and different techniques. But um, I think, I think for, for a lot of people, it just seems like it's, a, it's daunting. And it, maybe it was, man. Like, maybe that's, that's the thing. Like, I think to a certain extent... Um, Sometimes people don't know what they should practice and for how long. Yeah. yeah. Um, and in that case, I tend to tell people better things than I did personally. Because I'm of the opinion, 
eight hours a day might not be the best thing. Yeah. You know, like not when you can be focused for four and not just four straight, like maybe a couple hours here and a couple hours there. Um, what did you then, do? Well, I mean, I guess like, like personally, like I fully agree with what you're saying. Yeah. I was an all day, an all day type of guy though, where I would just sit there and just play all day. Well, that's but, what I did, man. Yeah. You know, looking back at it, I'm I definitely like, man, I, I probably wasted like crap loads of time all over the place. If I just yeah. focused more, it would have been a lot easier and faster. Yeah, no, that's totally what I did, man. Like in high school, when I got serious about playing bass, um, I hated the idea of a conventional life so much, man, that I just practiced all the time. Um, <laughs> because I just figured, you know, like at the end of the day, like I'd probably have something to show for it and it would help me out in the future. Um, I just committed to the idea of, you know, I, I want to do this for a living, so I'm going to like practice. And I don't even know if it was the most guided stuff. It just felt productive. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because that was pretty much the motivating factor for me. It's like, I don't want to do anything else. So I'm going to work and practice and try to put all this stuff together um, as best that I can. But um, yeah, it was a lot of like, a lot of hours like strung together. Uh, you know, like at least three to four hours a day when I was in high school yeah. and like super serious about it. Um, and then when I got to Berkeley, it was kind of, whenever I could. Um, but I would also try to play with people as well. And I, I felt like that was just as important as like practicing alone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, being able to like get in a room with, with guys like Deitch and there was a keyboard player that we used to jam with this guy, Jeff Basker, who now is a Grammy award winning producer. And, uh, he's, yeah, he's I think you told me about him. Yeah. Yeah. He was the original keyboard player in lettuce. And then, uh, I don't really know what happened, but he ended up kind of going a different route and, um, you know, his production thing has been taken off. But, you know, it, when we were kids, it was like Jeff had brought this huge crate of vinyl back to school and one of the records he pulled out was Thrust by Herbie Hancock. Yes. <laughs> and we were all, we were all like smitten with it, man. That's, that's still one of my favorite albums, like yeah, my top, top, top 10, like all time favorite albums. And, um, you know, so we learned how to play actual proof. That was kind of like our, that was our, that was like one tune we learned together as like, like a band, I guess. Um, and his version of actual proof, like the vinyl was messed up. There was some kind of scratch in the intro. So for a while, like it would displace itself for like a minute maybe and then keep playing. I don't know how it did that, but I wish, I wish I had recorded it because I would have learned it that way. Like, it somehow, <laughs> But it was it was pretty great, man. Like it was a pretty pretty amazing way to learn that tune. But um, yeah, man, that that had a big. That's probably the great thing about music school in general, like like a place like Berkeley or a place where you have facilities to help hook up like a rehearsal, and it's not prohibitively expensive because it's built into what you're paying to go there anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, just the ability to go and try stuff out with other people. I feel like that mixed with individual practice was where a lot of my strides came from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's like I think a lot of times people need, like, a pep talk. They need to be kind of, like, given a reason to believe in what their time is going towards. But I feel like that, like I was saying before we got, got cut off, there's a fear of, of going into the abyss, man, where it's just you just surrender to the idea of maybe not being great at something for a while, but really trying to be committed to it you know yeah. embracing the silk <laughs> yeah yeah i feel that way now man like because you know you're i feel like if, if anybody's really happy with what they're doing either they haven't explored everything or or they're done you know yeah. um it, you know i mean it doesn't mean that you can't take a moment and be like wow this is great i'm really grateful for everything like people should do that that's def that's definitely what mot what is motivating me to maybe try a different location and do new things like the idea of music being a way yeah you know, like music's been the way I've been able to see the world and yeah. you know like even yeah. at its worst yeah the best thing I can say even when it's like oh man you know like I miss my flight in Paris 
and now I got to sit and drink wine for two hours. <laughs> yeah, 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 tough, tough man. <laughs> yeah, what what a horrible life that is, man. Like you know, it's so terrible. Like life is so unfair. I don't know, man. Like it's just that's the thing. Like there's always a way to kind of step back and and like see it from a more positive angle. You yeah. know, and, and I'm I'm like dark, man. Like I'm sarcastic, but underneath all that, like I'm I pretty much I'm very happy with with everything and like you know that's just my sense of humor but yeah absolutely in in terms of just doing music and you know the lifestyle and stuff i mean like it's it's great man like i've met you know you meet the greatest people and it's 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 a lot of fun um you know like certain certain entities will punish you for it like airlines sometimes and stuff like that <laughs> but but well, generally, know, it's, it's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, you get yeah, to hang out with people like Jeff Satriani. How cool is that? Yeah. You did that G4 thing. How did that come about? What was that, what, what, what's that whole thing about? Well, so completely random. Um, Alex Skolnick, he was one of the instruct, one of the premier guys there. Um, so for those that, know, that don't know Alex, he, he was in a metal band called Testament. He yeah. still is. He was like really young when Testament got signed. I think he was in his teens. And then... I guess early '90s, he decided he wanted to learn some other music, uh, and so he went to new school in New York and studied jazz, and got into different music. And I think he tried to work on his skill set as just being kind of like a functional guitar player in many different settings. Yeah. And then the Testament thing came around again, so he sort of does it all. Um, Alex was a neighbor of mine for a while, and it was one of those things where. Eventually, if you say to somebody enough, hey, let's play sometime, hopefully that works out. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. Some, back in April, he emailed me and um, this great drummer that I work with a lot, uh, Kenny Grohowski. So we were going to be his rhythm section. So we were going to play a bunch of tunes. And it wasn't going to be the same thing as his trio. It was going to be sort of different. Um, it was like a good excuse to put that together. So... My understanding going into it was we're going to play out some of Alex's music. We're, we're doing a, a, a big gig there. And then I guess Kenny and I were going to teach some rhythm section stuff to yeah. these guitar players. Um, and I, I didn't really know what the rest of it was, but I know that Eric Johnson was going to be there and Steve Vai was going to be there for a little bit and Satriani yeah. was running the whole thing. And, like, you know, I've heard cool things about Satriani from, like, Vernon Reed because I know they're friends. And then, you know, Brian Beller is a good buddy of mine. And so I, I was talking met... to Brian yesterday. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Brian and I were hanging at this thing, man. Like we did a joint bass clinic and it was a lot of fun. But um, yeah, man. So we played our set and I guess maybe the second to last tune, like Brian was sitting there and like we had this inside joke about like people holding up like cards like judges like to rate solos yeah yeah, know, like, yeah 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 and like i took one and i like held up like four fingers like because it was it was all right but but um satriani watched our whole set and he really liked my playing man and he emailed me and then i did that thing where you know you send musicians like links to stuff that you know in his case i was like hey man you should check out this solo i did on one of my tunes it's kind of like an homage to you and and Holdsworth and everyone thinks it's like a guitar or a baritone guitar, but it's actually bass. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A solo on uh, "Leave This City Before You Can't," and so I sent him the link. And I, you know, I just figured that dude gets hit with so much music, like, you know, he's not going to listen to it, or if he does, it'll be like months down the line. I get an email the next day that one he really liked it, and then he he bought a copy of the record, which I thought was really cool. Hey. <laughs> yeah, and I I Win. wrote Beller about it. I was like, Beller, man, that's that's really cool that he did that. And Brian was like, Yeah, man, you know, he was one of the first people to pre-order the last Aristocrats thing. So it's wow. it's just cool that like a guy on that level. I mean, he's like for guitar, like instrumental guitar stuff. I mean, that dude plays like huge places, you know, and he's yeah. he's just such a really he's a genuinely nice dude. And it was it was cool to get positive feedback from that guy because even even like doing it for a long time, man, the right compliment or just the right kind of feedback is just kind of enough to kind of make you feel like you're doing something right. Because yeah. sometimes were you into him as a kid? Yeah, yeah, I was, I was. I mean, it was one of those things where uh, um, I'm trying to think. I mean, like I was a comic book guy, so 
when when surfing with the alien came out and it was like the silver surfer yeah, was yeah. on the thing. I was like, what is this, man? You know, like what is you know? So I was kind of intrigued by that. But um, yeah, I liked all those guitar guys, man. Like and and you know, like some of the bass players that played with them and stuff like that. Like I was always really into that kind of thing. Um, you know, and then when I got into fusion, it changed a little bit, but. Yeah, man. I was always, I was always into that stuff. It's still and, and there, I, man. I'm, I still get on YouTube like once every six months. I got on YouTube and I'll watch like a load of Vi and Satriani. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just the way well, it is. Listen, yeah, man. What I, else have you got coming up? Well, um, I've got some stuff, some gigs in New York coming up. I think in October. One of them is just with this band I have with Bob Lanzetti from Snarky Puppy and this yeah. great drummer named Devin Collins. Um, and then I got a couple other things, but the, right now it's just that trip, man. I'm going to be sort of taking a little pause and uh, just traveling around. And hanging out there and see if anything yeah, catches your eye. So if, like, yeah. if anybody, like obviously you've got the website, stevejenkins.com. Is that right? Stevejenkinsbase.com. Stevejenkinsbase.com. I'll hook that up on the page anyway so people can find it. And also, yeah. where do people get your music? Uh, stevejenkins.bandcamp.com. Bandcamp, or iTunes. Yeah iTunes is cool. Um, just make sure there's a guy named Steve Jenkins who's like a country singer. <laughs> yeah. And um, I'm not dissing that's any who I'm gonna That's who I'm going to hook up on the page, man. <laughs> he kind of looks like... I love loads that. of angry guys like, I bought this album, what the hell? <laughs> right, right. Um, no, this, this guy kind of looks like Kenny Powers, man, or like Danny McBride. Like, so you'll see, it's like, I had to like write Google and some of these other people and like just please make sure they know it's not the same dude. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, there's a better story I have that I won't tell because it involves like like bad things. But there was a guy. There's a guy that actually has SteveJenkins.com, and um, he's not the soccer player or the children's author. He's some guy that lives in the states. Yeah. You know, he's not a nice guy. We. A long time ago, we got into a weird thing because I had a gig with somebody and like we had just talked about all the details of this gig. And so she emails me at Steve at SteveJenkins.com, not realizing that it should be Steve at SteveJenkins.com. So this this fine citizen decides to tell her that he's not going to play the gig and then he quits. So you're kidding me. Oh, man. So the next morning. At like 8.30, this girl calls me. She was a little bit crazy, but like understandably, like I would have been pissed. So she, she calls and I'm, I'm not, you know, like I'm sort of waking up. And, That's like super confused. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she's like, what's going on? I'm like, oh, I don't know. I just woke up. Uh, you know, how, you good? And she's like, well, how come you're not doing this gig anymore? Like I thought, you know, like I told you I could pay you X amount. And you said it was cool. And it was a decent paying gig. Yeah. And I said, yeah, I think we're on for that, right? And she's like, well, you just sent me an email saying you quit. You don't want to play music with me anymore. And um, I asked her to forward the email because I figured out what it was. Like, yeah. not because it ever happened, but it just dawned on me that maybe she never really understood. She never got my email address from me at all. She just assumed yeah, whatever. Yeah. So I wrote this guy and I told him, I was like, dude, you almost cost me like, you know, a couple hundred bucks just because you thought it was funny to do this. And he was a complete dick, man. Like it was just, you know what I mean? Like he, he was just a complete asshole. And so for a while I was trying to find ways to get him off. I was trying to get the domain back. Get the domain. Yeah. Yeah. So every time there's a new thing like Snapchat, Instagram, any of these things where you can have a username, I always try to get Steve Jenkins. Yeah. yeah. It's you and him trying to get it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I got Instagram, you know, like I got that one. So that dude has to come up with something else, man. Like that's that's kind of my MO. But yeah, it sucks. If I can ever buy that domain, I will. You're going to go. Uh, I'm loving Instagram at the minute. I haven't really been. Can remember last time we spoke and you were like, oh, yeah. I'm loving Instagram. I've kind of been getting into it since then. It's a really <clears throat> cool platform, isn't it? You know, I'm yeah. into, like initially I didn't really get it. I was like photos, but. Yeah, it's wicked. And you can find out there's like all these like crazy pedal manufacturers on there. I'm geeking out over them, like amp manufacturers. It's yeah, it's really cool. And not as, I don't know, not as crazy as Facebook in a way. Yeah, Facebook is definitely, um, especially because of what's going on in the world always. But 
this this election in America, man, which I'm not going to talk about here because it's <laughs> yeah. not it, it's people are probably inundated. It's dominating Facebook, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's it's the worst, man. And I, and it's embarrassing. It's just, you know, it, it's like it's come down to this, man. It's 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 so terrible. Steve, so we're going to we're going to talk about this, Steve, in 2 minutes. But first of all, I'm just going to say bye to the guys and then right. we can have a little a little chat about it. Right. <laughs> anyway, guys, thanks for listening to the podcast so much. Again, the amazing Steve Jenkins. I'll put all the links to his site and the Bandcamp and the iTunes on the page. Other than that, take it easy, man. I'll see you in the shed. Bye. Okay, guys, hope you enjoyed that interview with Steve Jenkins. Again, you can find him at his website. Um, I'm going to put his YouTube channel. All of those things will be over on the show notes for this episode at scottsbasslessons.com. So just go over to scottsbasslessons.com. Go in the click in the, click in the top navigation on podcasts. You'll find the interview there and all the show notes. And I've also put some great videos of Steve burning away on his on his base that you're going to want to check out so definitely go check that out over at the website again if you are an academy member you can also watch the entire video version of that interview as well and if you're not an academy member yet go over check it out at scottsbasslessons.com in a nutshell it is the best online learning platform for bass players in the world the step-by-step courses live seminars every week the largest online bass educational community in the world and tons more the whole nine yards and on top of that we've got a completely free 14-day trial as well so you can take it for a test drive just to see if it's for you now next week we're going to have a killer bass player someone who goes by the name of freak bass who is an artist a songwriter and a bass player all in his own right he's toured with uh, Bootsy Collins he's hung out with Bootsy Collins that we're going to talk about that in next week's show and trust me you're going to love it he's a serious groover now as always take it easy guys and I'll see you in the shed Music.